Good morning, everyone. Yes, as Luke said, my name is Madeline, and I have the joy of reading from God's Word this morning from Psalm 42. Um, You can follow along in your Bibles, on your phones, or on the screen behind me. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. For two weeks we're in the Psalms. Next week Peter Locker is looking at Psalm 73. uh, And this week we're in Psalm 42. I want to begin by thinking about uh, our mental well-being. Mental health awareness is in the church and the wider community is growing and has been growing in the last uh, 10 years or so. Uh, Beyond Blue have some really interesting stats about mental health. Uh, Two in five people in Australia will experience a mental health condition at some point in their life. There's a hundred of us in this room. That means there's actually quite a few, I can't do the math, but a lot. 100 by 5 by 2. I'm terrible at maths. Um, But these struggles, here's the thing, thank you. These struggles affect every, all different types of people across all walks of life. They affect all types of people across all walks of life. And part of uh, being healthy is being able to identify and reflect on our well-being as humans and pay attention to what's happening in our life. And we're learning about that. It's more frequent to hear that at schools and in our workplaces and maybe 10 years ago at work to to now you've noticed there's many things put in place to care about, not just our physical well-being but our mental well-being as well. But even though all the progress we've made and there's good stuff in this space, it can still be confronting and hard to admit what's going on when it happens to you. You may hear all of this and then suddenly you find yourself in a moment in life and you think, oh my goodness, what's happening? Or unexpected things change or happen in your life and it can be very confronting to go through. And into that space, 
we have to be mindful that by pretending everything's fine, pretending everything's fine, we can actually do more harm than good. There is this phrase called toxic positivity. Maybe you've heard of it. It's, um, it means despite the emotional pain or the difficult situation, you should only have a positive mindset in that. Phrases like um, uh, positive vibes only, it could be worse, what's there to cry about? It'll be fine. You have so much going for you, how can you be upset? They can all contribute to this. Now I wonder today, has toxic Christianity, uh, positivity crept into Christianity? Has toxic positivity crept into Christianity? Phrases like, have more faith, pray harder, God wouldn't want you to go through something like this, God won't give you anything you can't handle, the victory is yours if you just believe. They're never written in the Bible. And secondly, they give an impression that God's will is about avoiding hard things. Do those phrases perhaps portray a small, one-sided God who can't possibly have a purpose or plan in the depths of despair? What if the hope of Christianity isn't overcoming my life struggles now, but the concrete hope that God is with me in them, that my best days are still to come when I'm fully restored to God, made in the perfect image of my Saviour Jesus? What if God can be given glory from the depths of despair, even if he doesn't remove me from it? I reckon, I reckon Christianity agrees with Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. She's a secular uh, clinical psychologist who says, if you don't confront or process emotions in an effective and timely manner, the science shows it can lead to a myriad of physiologic, psychological difficulties including disrupted sleep, increased substance abuse, risk of acute stress response, anxiety, depression, even post-traumatic stress disorder. You see, the Christian vision of life has space and capacity to cover the full spectrum of emotions we have as humans. And that's really good news. And we actually see this most clearly in the book of Psalms, which means... Our God has extraordinary love and compassion to those facing any challenge, but even a mental health challenge. Which is why this beautiful psalm of Psalm 42, a psalm of lament, should be tucked in our back pocket, our emotional well-being toolbox, ready to pull out. It is a psalm of lament. Now, lament isn't something we talk about very often today, but they're an important part of life, an important part of our walk with God. To put it simply, lament is a song of mourning or sorrow for the way things should, shouldn't be but are. Uh, it shouldn't be like this and it's hard and it's sad and I'm just lamenting that. Now for the Christian, lament expresses a trust in God when feeling agitated and unsettled and crushed by life. Interestingly, out of all the Psalms, there's 150 59 of them are classified as lament. It's the blue, blue ones up there. More than psalms of praise or thanksgiving. Lament psalms, by the way, don't give a positive vibe. They're not psalms of praise and they don't even end on a happy note. 
in Psalm 42, one of the key ideas is that our author can't praise God, you see. But what does he do? He hopes in God a solid rock. He looks forward to the day, even if it's not today or tomorrow or in this life, that praise of God will come. Why does he look forward to the hope? Because God is my saviour, he says. But it's not just the Psalms that paint this picture of life. In the New Testament, Paul, who we looked at in Acts just to finish um, last week, Paul expresses his daily anxiety and worry over the churches he cares for in 2 Corinthians 11. That same Paul says, don't worry in Philippians 4 verse 6. And it's interesting to know, it's the same word that Paul says, I have this worry over the churches, and then he says, but don't worry. He uses the same word. And then Peter uses that same word as well, worry, saying, cast your burdens and anxieties onto God because he cares for you. You see, the idea is that it's okay to have an appropriate concern over the things in this life. That's good. You should be concerned. But it's also appropriate to seek help and cast burdens and worries onto God when those feelings linger, when your habits and routines seem unable to get you up in the morning or function during the day or if they lead to an ongoing unsettledness. Which means being a Christian, being a member of the church does not make you immune from mental health challenges. But knowing the God, the Christian God and story that you're invited into because of faith in Jesus, as someone whom God has poured his love and kindness upon in the death and resurrection of Jesus, means your sense of worth and perspective doesn't depend on how well you perform or how well, how well life goes. It's in the rock-solid hope of Jesus. And I, I must say as well, um, I, I'm not a doctor. Um, if, if you are someone who might be struggling with your mental health today, we want to know that we love you because Jesus loves you. And we want to walk alongside you as an important part of our church community together. And please know it's important to seek professional help too. And your GP is a really good place to start. So if this is you, and, and, and I don't know what's going on, but hear this, please do see your GP if you think that's, you fit that category today. That's important. But let me sketch out Psalm 42 for us this morning. Uh, two sections, verse 1 to 5, and then verse 6 to 11. You'll notice a repetition of ideas in Psalm 42, showing how waves of emotion and distress come and go, sometimes in the same day. You'll also notice, if you keep reading to Psalm 43, uh, there's no title for Psalm 43. In verse 5 of Psalm 43 is a repeated phrase, Why is my soul cast down? They were traditionally one psalm written together, um, sung by the sons of Korah. And so we're going to look at just Psalm 42, but it's okay to read them together as one psalm as well, and, and you should potentially do that. So the first wave on Psalm 42, the psalmist is full of enormous stress and anxiety, and he asks himself um, a real pressing question of verse 2. When can I go and meet God? Now this moment in time, the author is not in Jerusalem, where God's temple was. In verse 4, there's a hunger to be back enjoying temple worship with God's people, like in the good old days. But right now, that's a distant, far-off memory. In verse 6, he's 300 kilometers away, near the snow-covered mountains called Mount Hermon. 
This is the main source of water for the Jordan River. This author has a head and a heart battle going on between the God he knows and how he's currently feeling. This physical distance for him is is agonizing, but the spiritual dryness is even worse. In verse 1, our author paints a picture of a thirsty deer. Now, in, in, uh, it's coming to summer, and yesterday we got a taste of that, and I guarantee at some point in Australia this year, you'll see a video going around of a very, very badly scorched koala and a CFS worker giving them a drink from a bottle. And it's just this picture of, of the thirst of this little koala and the CFS worker very kindly helping them out. And, and that's the picture here of how thirsty this deer is. It's a drought conditions. It's a desire for water when there is nothing around and they're totally at their end. And that image of said koala slash deer is an image of how this author's feeling. Our author is in a spiritually dry, physically distant, barren place. And he links this image of a deer to his own thirst for the presence of God. Except the only water he can find is in verse 3. And what does he find in verse 3? My tears have been my food day and night, he says. So physically distant, spiritually dry... And then it gets worse because in verse 3 and 10, he's harassed for his faith. Others see and know this person follows God. But the conclusion is, how your life's going and the God you follow doesn't add up to me. Therefore, where is your God, they say. To these people, to this voice, if God was real, you wouldn't be in the mess you're in. If God was faithful, he would prosper you and you'd have no struggles. But right now, the community against him is the loudest voice. But it wasn't always the case. In verse 4, he remembers a time when he was with the community of God's people in shouts of joy and praise to our God. You know, one of the key factors in supporting one another and those struggling in life are actually supportive relationships. Social isolation is not good for our mental health, and we only need to reflect back on the lockdowns and on COVID to see that particular uh, instance. In the eastern states, it was even uh, worse than here, not undermining us here, but they were in lots longer lockdowns. And connecting with others in a, is, in a meaningful way is how God has wired us. Zoom just didn't cut it, did it? We see the turmoil the author is in because he doesn't have these close relationships. But also know that the struggles in life don't disqualify him from Christianity or his God either. Therefore, as the community today who sing the praise of God, let's be careful not to give the impression that someone just needs to have more faith. After all, the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort has comforted us so that we can comfort others. Because in the community, all of us need the reminder that we have a sovereign, all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring, all-seeing God. And in His kindness, He gives us community to do life with, of those saved by grace, to remind each other of His character, His love, His promises to us. We're not clever people in the church. Your jobs may make you very you know, clever in your job, your field of work, but what makes us so wonderful together is the fact that we can pray and encourage each other with God's Word. 
That's it. Those simple things sustain the people of God. And by remembering this, the hope begins to sink deep into the author's own soul as he tells himself this. Even if he can't praise God now, he looks forward to a time when he will in verse 5. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Who? My Saviour and my God. Joyful praise is a long way off. But hope in God is the uber that's going to get him there. And even if he never gets out of this spot, or to a point when the struggle is fixed in his life, this refrain, will yet praise him, is always true, even to death and beyond death. Because our hope is not only in this life, you will live with him forever, when full salvation and praise will be possible. I will yet praise him. You might only feel like life is a yet praise him life. But consider Revelation 5.13. It says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. And they said, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Every creature means you. Even if right now those words of praise are a long way off, one day they won't be. You see, right now, what sustains our author is the knowledge of God as my Saviour. And that Revelation 5 praise is what you're being saved for. And that's something you and him can always hold on to. But of course, as humans, we dance from peak to trough uh, very quickly sometimes. And in verse uh, 6, after this great, I will hope in God and praise him one day, he, he hits bottom again. The second wave comes. And the image of water is invoked again in verse 7. But this time, it's a raging waterfall. It's as if he's not at the highest mountain anymore. He's now under the mountains with turbulent waters sloshing about over him. The pressure is so much. But look at how he describes the turbulent waters in verse 7. Your waterfalls, your waves, your breakers. He identifies these as belonging to God and it's the reminder that they're not outside of God's control. In his distress, the psalmist never loses his grip on the great truths and power of God. You know, it's not any help to say God doesn't rule the wind and the waves when you're under them. And as hard as it might be to see how God could be possibly in any of that, to say he's not ruling is an even more frightening and untrue experience. It would mean, therefore, that these waves are out of God's control. It would mean that God is unable to use them. It would mean that there is something else challenging God at that moment. And if that's the case, you would have no hope. But the richness of God's sovereignty... And his character actually moved the psalmist to taste the goodness of God because in verse 8, look what he says. As he's under those waves, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. The love he's talking about is the covenantal love of God, God's loyal, steadfast love. In the Psalms, Often when you see the word love, there's a word before it like faithful love or steadfast love. Or, and and it's, it's describing a Hebrew word called hesed, and we don't have an English equivalent. 
but it just means all the covenant love that God has, it's in that little word right there. And we can't really say it in English because it would go for a paragraph. So we'll just say steadfast love or loyal love. But think big, covenantal love. God is faithful to his promise. All that love directed at you. And that's where his hope will come from because God is faithful. Except no, no sooner has he reflected on this and the nighttime song, the waves come back again and they're worse than before. Look in verse 9. My bones suffer mortal agony. You know, emotional pain can have a huge impact on our physical well-being. And even when our bones hurt because of the stress of life, in verse 11, he, he encourages himself once more, why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise him, my Saviour and my God. Our author is telling us, and his heart and mind, what he knows to be true. Soul, this is the God I trust even when life doesn't make sense. You know, today the temple's gone. None of us are on a mountain, though you are sitting a bit higher than me at the moment. But you know, we're still thirsty people. And I wonder, as we think about this waves this psalmist is experiencing, have you found the refreshing living waters of God? You know, there was once a woman... Uh, who was struggling with her self-esteem and her reputation in a small community. Her life was very public and she had had five husbands who either died, divorced or left her and she was now living with someone else. And it was a very anxious time for her and there was so much judgment and shame and she would avoid large crowds for fear of conversations or the looks that people would stare at her knowing that's that woman, right? And interestingly, when Jesus met this woman... She had an empty water jug on her shoulder and he knew she wasn't just thirsty for physical water. In John 4, verse 13, Jesus says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Jesus seems to have a way of knowing how to satisfy thirsty people. Like when he talks to Nicodemus in John 3, 5, he says... No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born by the water and the Spirit. You know, in both instances, Jesus holds out the hope that the Spirit of God is like water to a thirsty soul, a soul panting for something more in life that can only be found in knowing God. And this Jesus is the one who gives us this living water when we feel both dry like a deer and are overwhelmed by the depths of the ocean. You, you know, the water image works both ways. You could be parched or crushed by water. And Jesus says this and offers this to us as someone who tasted the bitter tears of total abandonment by God for us because Jesus had his own Psalm 42 experience. Jesus knew that God's waves and breakers were coming down upon him. And on the cross, that's where it happened. On the cross, Jesus endured total darkness, distress and turmoil, physically, spiritually, mentally separated from God, so that in our darkness, we would not be abandoned. And more than just identifying with us, when Jesus came to life on the other side of the cross, he holds out life to us and the water of that life the water that we can taste now that will bubble up into eternal life so that we will have that hope to praise God one day in a place 
where there will be nothing more distressing because he's making all things new. Christianity offers us hope in a concrete God who understands our life. That's what Psalm 42 says. It offers us a perspective that says it's okay to lament with God. It offers us the hope that you can find joy on your bad days when you know that God and have hope in him. Why? Because the best is yet to come. And God in his kindness gives us a community of people to do life with. We're not professionals. You can't be a professional Christian. But we're works in progress whose skills are to point and pray and encourage each other with Jesus, the word of life. To end today, I want to show you um, someone called Claudia. You see her on the screen. This is Claudia's story. And she's someone who's living Psalm 42. And I'll let Claudia, it goes for three minutes, I'll let Claudia tell you all about how she feels sad, actually a lot of the time, but how her faith in Jesus makes all the difference because she holds on to the truth of Scripture that one day Jesus will make all things new. After this, uh, Heather will lead us in prayer. And you can find the link to this if you'd like to watch it again in your uh, sermon handout as well. So, Micah, can you hit play? Let's watch Claudia's story and then we'll pray as the people of God. My name is Claudia and I am an executive assistant for a Christian organisation and I live with severe depression and anxiety. I guess the diagnosis for me is I find life really tiring. I find it really sad and I find I have a lot of sadness but I find a lot of joy too and I think I have a deep just overwhelming sadness in myself that I can't explain and that's where I get then depressed because I can't explain it and I feel guilty. There's this just burden over me and that's just exhausting and that just lives with me all the time and all we can explain is that it's chemical and it's the way God created me and some of us don't have the chemicals that yeah that we just don't create those chemicals and every time we up my meds it just the sadness lifts and so we've explained that that's just the way that I tick. I think one of the hardest things was hiding it from my family. Um, yeah, uh, living in shame of um, uh, yeah, not being able to burden my family with it. I think especially my mum being so close to her and um, not wanting her to feel like it was her fault that something was wrong with me. If it was just depression, I felt like I had to get over it and I had to get better. But I knew that it wasn't just something that was going to go away. I knew it was something deep down different. It wasn't just circumstantial or um, something in my environment that was wrong. It was definitely something chemical that was wrong. My faith is everything. I honestly don't believe I'd be here without it. Um, it's it's the, what keeps me going. Um, so I hold on to verses uh, 
I know that he has begun a good work in me and he'll carry it on until uh, Christ Jesus returns. And so um, often there's lies in my head and I think depression and anxiety does that. And um, uh, I hold on to truths. And even when I'm in a down or um, I just can't make right of what's going on, I just repeat truths to me. I have them around my room and even at my desk at work. And I... Uh, I know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow uh, and forever. I just know that he, he loves me and he has purpose for me. I, I always have questioned what the purpose of life is and I still some days get really tired and I don't know how I'm going to keep going, but I know that he has plans to prosper me and to, to not harm me. I could not do it without, without my faith. Mm.